Hi, my name is Gabriel Huet, and welcome to Philab Podcast, where we will explore the complex world of Canadian philanthropy by interviewing and showcasing the lived experience of multiple actors in the sector. Welcome to everyone tuning in to the very first episode of the Fila podcast. While the Fila podcast is a bilingual project, this episode will be held exclusively in English, but there will be others solely presented in French. There will always be a disclaimer at the start of the episode to identify the language spoken during the interview. Now, to introduce myself briefly, my name is Gabriel Huet, and I'm a communication student at UCAM University. I'm also the host of my very own podcast called Le Labo. My passion is learning about the world and the variety of people living on it. So I have been tasked with hosting multiple discussions to better understand how the philanthropic scene is evolving in Canada. For me, this adventure is all about discovering the Canadian philanthropic sector, and I hope you will learn as much as I do during this experience. Today's episode is the first of a three-part series that will cover the Canadian territory from western to eastern part. The goal is to give a voice to as many philanthropic actors as possible. We are starting out west to find out more about what community foundations are, as they are a big part of the philanthropic ecosystem, but are sometimes misunderstood. To help us answer this question, we have three guests on the show today. Eva Friesen, who is the president and CEO of the Calgary Foundation, Carl Mikalenko, who is the CEO of the Saskatoon Foundation, and Sky Bridges, who is the CEO of the Winnipeg Foundation. We will be exploring the following three themes with our guest. What are some of the misconceptions about community foundation? What is their role on the provincial scene? And how did COVID affected their work? So with that in mind, let's jump in. All right. Well, thank you to everyone here for joining on this first episode of the Philab podcast. Today's episode will be focusing on community foundations and just having a better understanding of what it represents and what the work of those organizations is on the ground. Uh, today, we have three persons to discuss this uh, thematics, which is the first person that we have on the show is Sky Bridges, which is the CEO of the Winnipeg Foundations. Afterwards, we have Karm Mikalenko, which is the CEO of Saskatoon Foundations, and Eva Friesen, which is the president and CEO of Calgary Foundations. And now, before we start the conversation, I would just want to do a little roundtable for each one of you to just present yourself and explain a little bit about the foundation that you represent and what is the groundwork that it does. So we would start with Sky, if uh, you can introduce yourself and the foundations that you represent. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here. And as you mentioned, I'm CEO of the Winnipeg Foundation uh, right here in Winnipeg, Manitoba, or as I like to call uh, Middle Earth. And uh, with that, uh, I am Métis is uh, my background and uh, my First Nations bloodline is uh, Cree and Blackfoot. And I'm brand new to the role. I uh, actually been in the role now for just a little bit over two months. Uh, so I'm in a position of learning and exploring uh, uh, about the, the, the foundation movement. And uh, I have to say the Winnipeg Foundation, what I find most in, impressive, uh, certainly, you know, they uh, started 100 years ago, we celebrate our 100th anniversary. Mm -hmm. 
And um, we also have a component called Endow Manitoba, where we have established uh, the supporting uh, community foundations across Manitoba with uh, an additional 50 community foundations in this province. That's really impressive. Uh, 100 years of history. That's a long time. And uh, thank you, Sky. Thank you. Next, we would go with Carm. Good morning, everyone. Thanks very much for putting uh, putting this panel together. I'm very honored to be part of this with Eva and Sky. I'm from the Saskatoon Community Foundation, and although I've been here almost six years, I still feel like I'm learning a lot and and exploring what we need to do, what we need to do better as a community foundation. And we're a real small, you know, I guess we would be called considered more of a smaller community foundation across Canada. Mm -hmm. There's 191. And so we do manage a portfolio of about 75 million. It's a small fraction of Manitoba, um, of Winnipeg and Calgary. And we certainly look to our, our larger foundations as inspiration and ways to do things better. So we take care of about 350 fund holders and um, a big part of what we're doing is evolving our role. And I'm, I'm really pleased to talk a bit more about that. Um, so I'm here on Treaty 6 territory, traditional homeland of the Métis. And thank you again for having this important conversation. Mm, interesting, thank you, Carm. Uh, next, we will finish this round table with Eva. Hi there, thanks for having me. And um, it's a pleasure to join my colleagues, Carm and Skye. I'm with Calgary Foundation. I have been there 16 years in the role of the president CEO. And uh, we have, we're the, in the birth order of the 191, we are the number five or six born in Canada community foundations. And in this terms of size, we're number three behind Vancouver and Winnipeg, who are the largest two community foundations. So what we do, every community foundation responds to the needs of its community. So we view our purpose to build a thriving, a healthy community where everyone belongs. We inspire and facilitate philanthropy, and we support the charitable sector to ensure it is strong to serve our community. And we're a 360 degree grant maker, which means we care about all of community, uh, everything from arts and heritage, environment, animal welfare, human services, education, uh, health, all of it. And um, that's the essence of who we are. Basically, the community foundations like a cooperative movement where people have pooled their resources for community into one common pot for the good of the whole. Mm. That's the point of view. Ah, that's uh, insightful because as the this conversation as a goal, which is to clarify what is a community foundation, and as I'm new to the world of philanthropy, it is pretty clear to me what the role can be of this kind of an organization. So thank you, uh, Eva. So now we would enter the first uh, section of our discussion, which would be, what are the biggest misconceptions about community foundations? In my mind, I'm sure those organizations works with a couple of uh, section of the populace. So let's say government, donors, and other kind of actors, let's say. Sky, would you be comfortable to tell me if you've been in contact with some big misconception around what is a community foundations when it comes to the government or the populace? Well, um, to mention, you know, I'm brand new to this role and I'm still mm. uh, learning uh, quite a bit myself. I, I would say um, 
uh, one of the, the things that have struck me in, in understanding of misperception is that um, the average um, uh, gift that is made uh, to the Winnipeg Foundation is $100. And it's made up of um, many different types of, of, uh, of donors who provide mm -hmm. Gifts, and uh, I think one of the misperceptions is that it's only uh, people with large amounts of, of money that provide gifts, which uh, isn't the case. And I think the other thing around it too is just how accessible it is for an individual to want to set up their own um, endowment at a foundation. Uh, you can do this for um, uh, your own directed um, endowment for five, as little as a $5,000 commitment, and, uh, and you can um, achieve that uh, goal over a five-year period. Of course, um, any gift is, is accepted. That's just if you want to set up um, your own endowment. But uh, certainly, I think one of the misperceptions is just about the who are the types of donors who give to foundations, and uh, it is everyone, every walk, every walk of, every walk of life. Um, and would, is there like... Um... Because if you, you, you said that uh, people might think that the donors are people with a lot of resources, but is there a reason why people would think that, uh, that it's more likely to be gifted from people who have resources in abundance than normal people, let's say? Well, you know, I'm sure my, my, my colleagues uh, here on the call have some thoughts to this, but I mm -hmm. think one of the reasons, and what I also find most surprising is that... Um, uh, the Winnipeg Foundation does not solicit uh, for um, uh, donations. So um, it is uh, simply, you know, word, word of mouth and, and individuals mm. who are aware and, and want to provide. And so because we're not in the, the business of driving for um, campaigns, I think that this is part, part of the reason why there is a bit of that mis, uh, mis, misperception. Oh, I understand. I understand. And uh, well, if I follow up with Carm, in your region or your organization, do you find yourself having this uh, same kind of, uh, not problem, but I'm trying to find a word to just say this uh, challenge, let's say? It is a challenge. I know that when I began six years ago, you know, I came from the credit union movement. So I was, mm -hmm. you know, aware of the community foundations. I volunteered in the sector. Um, so it wasn't very new to me. But as soon as I started, I realized the complexity behind a community foundation. And, and in our case, you know, in con it, our context is that we are relatively small. So there was really low awareness uh, of our brand and what we stood for. And I think that does come from, you know, the reason why we're here is because there's inequities in society. Mm. You know, that's the reason why there's a community foundation. And um, individuals 50 years ago is when we became a community foundation and they were primarily those with wealth. They were business uh, community leaders. And so we conducted research and, and I knew that there was, there was some mystery around a community foundation that it's a barrier. It's a barrier to really doing the work that we do if people see us as only serving those with wealth mm -hmm. and the elite. And that came loud and clear in our research. And so that's been one of the key challenges for us to really overcome. If you think of philanthropy, it, the meaning of it, it's the love of humankind. And so I always say that it's not about the size of your wallet, but it's about the size of your heart. And we all have the capacity to give, you know, we give what's meaningful to us. And so our challenge is to, to make people aware of that, that we serve the entire community and we are about the community. And, and being small, that's become a challenge. And as Sky has said, we don't go out and solicit, 
you know, we don't go out and um, directly fundraise. We do some initiatives that support, but I think it's about serving those in the community that see that they, they want to help, but they don't know how. And that's why we're there. Oh, that's interesting because I, from what I'm hearing, it's like people uh, stop themselves from donating because they don't see themselves as the profile of the typical person who would give out resources. Am I uh, wrong on that? Oh, 100% on that. You know, what's what was really striking, the insight that we gained is that even those with wealth and with means don't see themselves as wealthy. There is someone else that is wealthy and is looked upon as, as being of wealth. And so we really want to um, break that barrier down because it's, we're a collective, a community is a collective. And if we all bring our own gifts and resources, the whole community is stronger and leaving no one behind, I mean, is the ultimate goal, but it's because people see that someone else is, is, you know, uh, has the means and that's simply not true. It's a, a misconception that that creates the barrier. And uh, it's a tough one to break down. I understand. Well, if I follow up with that to uh, Eva, from this coming down, I feel like you have been in contact with this misconception too, or do you have some other thematics that uh, comes to your uh, particular field? Uh, yes, I'd say, and I'll just add a bit of color to that, uh, the, certainly the perception that the Community Foundation might just be for the uber wealthy mm -hmm. probably has existed, and I think it's beginning to change. And that might be because 100 years ago, um, you know, it was the people with wealth in the community who started it. And in fact, in Winnipeg, there was two significant gifts. One was a million dollar gift or very, very sizable. And the other was like a dime, uh, mm -hmm. the widow's might. Uh, and I forget the exact amounts, but it was like that kind of discrepancy. So all gifts matter to build a community foundation. And Winnipeg's a perfect example of how that was. In Calgary, the uh, first gifts were 20 founding donors who gifted uh, $5,000 each. And, you know, 68 years ago, that might amount to $30,000 today. So not the million-dollar gift that was the first one that started Winnipeg. So we're all a little different. But um, as Sky said, it, anyone can participate in philanthropy. I love your phrase, Carm. It's not the size of the wallet. It's the size of the heart. Mm -hmm. you know, and in Calgary Foundation, we have a fund starting size of $10,000. But we give, sometimes students start a fund, and we give them five years to get to that if they need, however many years they need. So it's not about the size of the gift. One of the key factors of that I think that people forget, and we don't fundraise either uh, in Calgary, reason being we exist to support the charitable sector and they fundraise. Mm -hmm. So if we were to fundraise, we can fundraise. So we do not fundraise, but rather we uh, match a donor to the need they care deeply about. And so often that is bridging a relationship and maybe the donor gives a gift directly to the charitable organization they care about and not to the foundation. And that is really good. Then we have still done our job. So the community foundation's role is to support philanthropy and bring together those with excess funds that they wanna support the needs that there exist. And, and sometimes we're just the, the mediator, the bringer together <laughs> as opposed to even starting a fund in the foundation. I think that's a component that is often uh, forgotten. And maybe that's because we don't talk about that as much. You know, we're trying to talk about that more. 
Calgary Foundation. Um, and, and I think another, what's not known, a misconception, is this, what I, I mentioned at the beginning, the 360 degree. You know, the Community Foundation is for all parts of community. So it is about the inequities and the poverty, but it's also about the environment and the arts and heritage. And so it's because we believe all pillars in that charitable sector matter equally to make a healthy community. That's that's really uh, insightful. And if I can just uh, wrap wrap it up to see if I understood correctly. So the, the role of a community foundation is to manage a fund to distribute to charitable organization afterwards, or am I uh, completely uh, uh, south of the border? No, it is definitely to pool. Uh, so we are an alternative to starting a private foundation. Mm -hmm. a private, there's many, many, many more private foundations in Canada than there are community foundations. Okay. But sometimes people uh, just have a preference to not do their own private foundation. They might view it's too much administration, too much uh, regulations intensive. And uh, so they like to pool it in a community foundation. So that's where we're like a cooperative, a pooling. And, uh, and then we make grants from that. So we endow it, uh, manage the money, invest it to return a good return so we can make gifts from the returns to community. Mm. Okay, so it's more on the financial aspect than the uh, organization of events and uh, uh, more groundwork, in a sense. That, that's right. I don't. Most community foundations do not fundraise with like in the typical manner because we support charities to do that fundraising. Mm. So it goes back to the point that Sky brought earlier, which is you do not solicitate people because you're not upfront in the on the ground most of the time. That's right. We don't want to compete with the very charities that we exist to support. I understand. I understand. That's a complicated challenge because as much as we want people to understand more how it works, but we can't really compete on the ground for the reason that you, you said, I would send it back as a closing statement for this question to Sky, but how would you make those kind of information more available to people without compromising your role as a community foundation? Well, so, I mean, and I would just, you know, also kind of add to that. It's that uh, we recognize that we're part of an ecosystem. Mm. And so community uh, foundations, uh, it's been described to me as uh, we're kind of the savings account uh, and the uh, the charities that we support, uh, which is, you know, flow through, um, you know, they're, they're, they're asking for donations for particular drives and causes uh, for, for immediacy, um, whereas uh, foundations roles um, are more being able to place uh, capital for long term investment into communities forever. And, um, you know, an example of that certainly has been through COVID, uh, where many charities have lost um, uh, and, and losing dollars on a lot of their drives and campaigns because of situations we find ourselves in. But community foundations, because how they are set up, can continue to have the, the, the dollars flowing to support those organizations during these difficult times. So um, I don't think it's so much seen as necessarily um, you know, about uh, we don't want to compete. It's that we recognize that we have a particular role in supporting the ecosystem of the charitable movement and supporting communities. Yeah, that's that's a good view to see it as an ecosystem, which is more um, fluid than just seeing mm -hmm. as a, we're part of the system and we work in a certain ways. We work with everyone to make it work, basically. Yes. Oh, interesting, interesting. 
Well, that, that ties in well into the next part of this conversation, which would be, what is the role of community foundations in provincial philanthropy aspects? I don't know if, Carm, you could start with uh, your view on the subject. Uh, certainly, yeah. So most community foundations really are located in an area. So in our case, we're, we're place-based uh, philanthropy. So we're in Saskatoon. So we don't have a provincial view, but we have a Saskatoon and area view in terms of how we operate. And, you know, the we, we've touched on some of the aspects of the current role of a foundation, why it was established and how that role is evolving. And I think I do see it in the same way as both Eva and, and Sky that, it, in, in one sense, it's two sides of the same coin. You've got the donors or what we call our fund holders that bring resources and we pool them and we invest. And with those earnings, we distribute to the charities. And then on the other side, you've got the charities that are delivering those programs and services on the front line. So while we don't, we're not in that space, being at a system level space really puts us in a very unique role. And being on that in that level, we can bring together and as Eva has said, inspire philanthropy. So and bridge those individuals with causes they care about. So it puts us in a role of really being somewhat neutral. We want to support all the causes and charities in the community through the interests of those fund holders that come to us. Mm -hmm. But I also want to challenge our role in that we also need to stand for something. We need to stand for what's important in the community. What are the things that are, that are creating and causing those inequities? And standing for something does sometimes mean you need to, to, to bring voice and to, to provide that leadership of, of space and voices from those in the community. And I think that's where I see the role evolving and shifting. It's less of what you had referred to, Gabriel, as the financial aspect, uh, transactions, and more about the impact and transformation and evolving the role of a community foundation because of its very unique situation we're in. I mean, certainly endowments provide that, you know, long-term sustainable grants to the charities that need it. And perhaps it, it alleviates them from having to, you know, put a whole machinery together to to try to raise funds uh, when there's endowments that we can manage for them and provide them those grants. But I do, I do think that we want to look at what are some other ways we can unlock the capital in our community. So our role is to also look to all the levers, all the ways that we can bring, I guess, mechanisms, whether it's endowed or non-endowed funds. And, and that's the biggest change that I'm seeing in the last several years. And, it, and it's new ground, it's new territory, but it's gonna provide much greater impact to needs that have been arising in our community. And, and especially around reconciliation and the, the TRC, the Truth uh, and Reconciliation Commission. Mm -hmm. uh, those are needs that are, that are here right now and we wanna take part in. So our role has evolved to be more transformational, uh, work and engage in the community, mobilize the community. And um, it, it's work that needs everyone in it. Yes, uh, I see what you mean. And in the sense that you want to be aware of the social issues that are occurring in your communities, how does that operate inside the community foundations? How do you stay aware of those issues? 
Well, I think for us, because we're still a relatively new in terms of the phase of our organization, we're new in some of these roles that are a lot more progressive. Mm -hmm. And we look to Winnipeg and Calgary on things that they're doing. But one of the key things that community foundations have done across Canada and internationally is a vital science program. It's an international respected tool of research that really provides a snapshot of the health of a community across the board in various sectors. Mm -hmm. So that mobilizes of that knowledge and that research then becomes a tool uh, to us to, to bring to the community to mobilize action for individuals to see how they want to impact. So it really does take a collection of individuals to make a difference, to move you know, population level kinds of social issues. So vital science has become a very critical and strategic way of us providing, gathering knowledge and then providing it to the community to inspire that philanthropy. And I think just by engaging and being on the front line with community organizations um, is how we also gather and have our finger on the pulse. And that's one of the key differences, you know, from a community foundation versus perhaps a private or some of the commercial you know, organizations and banks that offer donor advised fund, which really functions very similar to a community foundation, is that we have the community knowledge, we are engaged and part of the community to be able to um, offer insights and ideas to those in the community that want to make a difference. Because I think that's part of the, the challenge is those with means of wealth don't know where to put their funds. They, they don't understand, you know, know, it takes a lot of work and groundwork to gather that knowledge. And we can provide that um, to individuals so that they're working in partnership with us based on their own goals and needs. And then we provide the community knowledge through vital signs and our own research and engagements that we do in the community. So it's a really wide way of, of bringing that knowledge forward. So you have your own cues to uh, like have alerts to which kind of challenge needs to be addressed uh, by your data that you collect and the research that you have at your disposal. Is that right? Well, and essentially it's relationship based mm -hmm. as well. You know, uh, we're not strictly looking at research because sometimes research will lag, right? And, and there's pitfalls to that, mm -hmm. but it's really being actively involved and in forming relationships Uh, with the various organizations and with those that that want to give and mm. so that's a that's a different kind of work um that really requires you know um long term it's it's a long runway to really put together something that will be impactful for for a donor or fund holder and working with the charities that they wish to to support so we are that bridge as as uh, eva has said um we we make that connection And that space that we're in, it's it's a true honor to be part of that. I understand. And uh, if I would uh, transition to Eva, as uh, Carm said, they look upon what Calgary and Winnipeg could do as an indicator of what they could do. Is that kind of knowledge transfer is in your role as a because you represent Calgary, which is the biggest city of uh, Alberta in a, in a sense. Would that be in uh, your mission to be a, a, a lighthouse for the ideas that you uh, protect or that you're fighting for? Certainly the networking with our colleagues, you know, is very important. Mm -hmm. And so we have two groups that meet that I'm part of. One is 
both uh, Sky and Karma are, are a part of, and that is the 15 largest community foundations in Canada. And we meet and meet on Zoom regularly and share information about Canadian trends and things that matter, learn from each other. There's 11 foundations in the province of Alberta. And we also sometimes will talk, and we're very differential in size from very mm -hmm. small to very large, but there's times when we have come together for something like the fires in Fort McMurray, mm. um, the floods in Calgary. I mean, there's there's times we do th the pandemic where we would share and and some needs are provincial needs, but primarily each community foundation focuses on its more immediate community. And, and for us in Calgary, we've extended that more recently uh, to include the um, the re the nations in Treaty 7 that are part of where Calgary is, is mm. present at the, you know, crossing of the, the meeting of the bow and the elbow. And so we sort of have, you know, perhaps 68 years ago, we viewed our, our sort of jurisdiction as Calgary. It's expanded to being the watershed. So going up into the foothills and, and it's expanded now to include the first nations that are in our neighborhood. I'll use that language, the neighbors. And uh, so we, so each community foundation kind of serves a community as it defines it. Um, one of the things, picking up on CARMS about community knowledge, I'll, I'll add to that. We have, the, we have 80 volunteers involved in the Calgary Foundation to assist us with our grant making, the, the grants that are at our discretion, not the donor advised funds. And so those volunteers are as diverse as we can possibly you know, have them from all parts of community with different expertises. And that also, in addition to vital signs and those other tools we have, it's engaging the community with knowledge of a certain area that they bring, which helps build the knowledge of a community foundation. So we truly are a collection of great assets in the community, not just financial assets, but the knowledge of community assets that resides in various people. So that's also really important to us. I hear a lot of networking and relationship in the things that you said. So the human aspect is really important for community foundations, basically. The human is upfront and that's the, I don't want to use the term tool as a mechanical thing, but the most useful aspect of a community foundation would be the relationship that it makes with the other humans. Through I think it's work. all, yep, I, Gabriel, I think you got it right. You hit the nail on the head. It's all about the humans. It's all about relationship. It's all about humanity and making a, building a community where all in it thrive. Hmm. Uh, that's, that's pretty uh, good to hear or heartful to, to hear. Mm -hmm. To close on this uh, particular uh, section, I would uh, ask to Sky, do you have any relationship with governments level when you're a community foundations? Well, in the case of the um, Winnipeg Foundation, we have had relationships throughout our, our history going back many, many, many years with uh, both all federal, provincial, um, and uh, municipal governments. Um, those various governments have come on board in terms of establishing um, their own um, endowment that has a, a particular purpose in terms of 
of support uh, that it's interested in driving. Um, you know, even just recently with the, the province of Manitoba, uh, we've set up an endowment with them for epitaphs. So uh, those are the, um, you know, statues, if you will, in communities, war memorials, mm -hmm. so that there is um, a fund that can be tapped into uh, by communities for the upkeep and maintenance um, of, of them. And so that's one example. Uh, but uh, uh, even the uh, a model that we've rolled out for Endow Manitoba in terms of establishing community foundations across the province, um, the province of Manitoba has contributed an endowment of funds to support that movement uh, to help make uh, reduce the barriers for communities within the province to establish their own community foundation. And there are many, many, many examples. And so, um, you know, there certainly is a relationship and a partnership there uh, with all levels of government. Mm. Okay, yeah, I, I can see that how it works, but my my uh, question would be, do they have a role in your function or are you independently uh, working without their, I don't want to say permission, but uh, do you have to be controlled or control is not the right word, but uh, is there any policies that the government implants that regulates uh, community foundations? Well, so uh, we are created through an act of, of parliament uh, mm -hmm. in Manitoba. And so through that act is, is what allows us to operate. We are uh, independent. However, um, there are regulations that we do have to follow. Certainly um, under a federal level uh, CRA, there are all kinds of uh, regulations that must be followed by community foundations to follow the tax act. Um, uh, and that involves things such as um, the amount of money that uh, we have to draw down or spend. Uh, there are minimum requirements on that. And of course, following all the tax rules as, as far as um, um, issuing tax receipts and, and following that. So, I mean, it is a regulated, uh, absolutely. Uh, and uh, But we are um, you know, independent. We have a board and it is through that board that is reflective of the community um is 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 how we kind of move move forward mm, thank you for that image it's more clear for what it should look like uh, at least to my eyes i would finish up with the closing question with uh, we will start with eva how would you say that uh, the pandemic affected your community foundations and the work that you did with the philanthropic sector Well, it certainly had some pretty big impacts, and I think some will be lasting. One of the key parts uh, or things we did was, was very quickly, we uh, collaborated with many other donors and funders, so the so United Way, for example, and, and private foundations, and we came together to talk about how can we quickly respond and meet the most important needs. Mm. So collaborative funders tables was very meaningful to us and and it's proven really effective and I don't think it's something we'll stop doing just because the pandemic is over. One of the other things we learned is how very you know different the pandemic experience was for different organizations. Some had incredibly more needs, great demands for services like mental health and counseling and, and food banks and food services and, and others like performing arts and recreation and museums and In theaters, they shut their doors and they had nobody. And so the experience wasn't the same throughout the sector. But in all cases, they did have less money because fundraising events couldn't happen. And so the needs were, were dire. So um, we, we tried to, we, we certainly shared more information and talked with many. 
And, and I think there, we've built bigger relationships, deeper relationships as a result of the pandemic. And those will be good to take forward to the future as well. Mm, so that adversity created bigger bonds or stronger bonds through the relationship that you had established in the past. You know, it's a bit like the flood of Calgary in 2013. Suddenly, every neighbor was helping every neighbor. Mm. And likewise, the pandemic, you know, suddenly you're in a shared crisis and some are more able and have more. They're less affected. I kept my job, right? Many people kept their jobs. And so we, we um, were able to support those who, those who had could support those who had more needs. And it was a beautiful coming together. Well, it's it's beautiful to hear that people comes together to help, but it's kind of harsh to hear that it, they need to have a disaster to mm -hmm. to come together, in a sense. I would go with uh, Carm to kind of just speak about the specific of your region. Was there any kind of particular uh, problems that COVID caused? Other than everybody has to shut down, that's like the world <laughs> shut down for that period. But in your case, was yeah. there any specifics? That I think, yeah, I think there, we were all in the same storm, mm -hmm. but we all had very different boats. Mm. You know, whether you're thinking of a sector, as Eva was talking about, or you're thinking of individuals, um, we stepped into a role that was not our traditional wheelhouse. We moved, we jumped in and put a community call out for collecting the funds. And that's not a role that we're typically in, but we took a very strong leadership role, but it quickly, quickly within three days, we had basically created uh, an organizational infrastructure. It was based on an incident command. So is based on emergency response. And we partnered up with 50 organizations and we were the funding arm of it. And, That, as Eva was saying, you know, those relationships that have been formed, we can do more together, right? You can go much farther. If you want to go fast, you can do it alone. But if you want to go mm. far, you got to do it together. And that was the biggest learning from everyone and the support from the sector of those individuals. I mean, we had folks that were dealing with, and this is to serve the most vulnerable people population. There was a strategy that was put in place within hours And we, we came together and met, you know, a couple times a week, 60 organizations in a call with a command structure in place and raised millions of dollars. And we pivoted all our work. I mean, our entire organization of seven individuals was focused on pulling together. And we saw it organically in the community, how individuals and organizations and people were pulling together. But I do think that, you know, what I want to share around the pandemic is that we also quickly realized that those inequities always existed. Mm. I mean, the, the light was shone brighter and it really has propelling our organization in terms of how we view our relationships. So your earlier question around any connections and uh, relationships with government speaks to the need that all sectors need to come together when it comes to issues. You know, unfortunately, homelessness and mental health It's never an immediate crisis. It's never an immediate response is needed, but it's a, it, it is tremendously impacting our entire community, all of that. And I think bringing together the private, the public and the philanthropic sector 
is the lasting part of the of the pandemic and that it in silos will never work you know it, it's that leadership role that we can facilitate to bring together the sectors that we see as transforming what we do in our in our community foundation um, so it, it, and it can't be done alone so the collaboration is needed but leadership strong leadership into roles that perhaps people have not taken before organizations haven't taken before so adaptability is the the key of this uh, of this success here because even if you never have been in the role of leadership you've your organization took it and it worked in a certain way Absolutely. I mean, adapting and being responsive and taking a leadership role in the community mm. is what a community foundation has the, the levers to do. And so taking full, putting all those full forces and levers forward is what will make a difference down the road. Um, so we're going to take the learnings and we've already begun to transfer to other issues in the community that, um, that again, were exasperated and, and a brighter light was shone, uh, mental health being one of them. Mm. Uh, homelessness being another one. So um, those are issues that we need to take hold of. I understand. And uh, on your part, Sky, uh, was there any uh, knowledge transfer from the pandemic that you can see now that you had to adapt? Well, you know, um, certainly, you know, the role of foundations is to understand the gaps or the challenges that is facing the community. And um, and through that, the organization was quick to respond in terms of uh, uh, bringing community together and understanding what are the, the needs and the challenges. And through that, there has been two rounds of, of grants uh, that have been made available for um, sustaining organizations through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and certainly, um, you know, looking forward and, and continuing those conversations, we're going to be moving into a mode of um, now how do we help to rebuild, right? Mm -hmm. And so it, it's, it's always a constant um, um, being aware of uh, connected to the community and where those those needs are, um, because ultimately, you know, our role and as that's been spoken to very much about here is it's it's leadership in terms of bringing also a, a diverse group of people together um, to create a common good, and and that is the role of the foundation is the be the connector of that, the connector of what the community needs are to what what uh, donors um, uh, want to help to understand where uh, they can provide support. And so uh, for us, those dialogues um, will, will continue and uh, we remain close uh, to the community to understand um, what their needs are. It's interesting because from what I'm hearing now, it's like the community foundations have a role which is primarily to uh, manage funds, but as they don't have practical specific function, they can take on that role of just adapting to a challenge and helping other organizations to not step up, but at least survive through the storm. Yeah, like we don't um, develop programs. Mm -hmm. uh, we provide funds to organizations that um, provide those, those programs or that relief, right? We're, we're not the boots on the ground. We support organizations that are the boots on the ground. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to the uh, ecosystem concept that you brought earlier, which is you're all part of the same machine, let's say, to make it work. Everybody needs everybody in this kind of challenge. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's a, a great big community hug. <laughs> it's all about coming together. That's a good image. Uh, yes. <laughs> and um, as a closing statement, I would just do a quick roundtable again and just uh, share your um, 
thought on what you expect for the following years on uh, how do you wish things could go through the foundations that you operate or uh, objective that you've set up things that we have to look forward to and i would start with eva well going forward i'd like to think i'd like to wish i have a hope mm -hmm. that we can take the things we learned through this pandemic specifically about the inequities that exist in our society and we can uh, figure out how to start with changing ourselves and then changing our organizations and then changing the, the communities that we serve um, mm. so that all can thrive. That's, that's pretty uh, deep because without changing ourselves, we cannot change the way we operate <laughs> and certainly not the organization that we are part of. Thank you, Eva. Uh, I would go with Carm. Well, I definitely would uh, say I'm going to do what Eva's doing. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it really does speak to the potential of a community foundation to be more impactful, um, um, to create the change, to be the change. And um, that's, that's the path that we're on where we've just created our five-year strategic plan and being a stronger advocate uh, for the most vulnerable for the organizations that serve the most vulnerable is a bigger role that we need to, to take and, and, and creating space for all voices um, so mm. that we all, we all pretty much have in our vision statement somewhere that we want to create a community where everyone feels they belong. And that takes great effort by all. So that is not a little test, but it's surely an honorable one. Thank you, Carm. Uh, I would finish with Sky. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so uh, for me, I hope going forward that what the pandemic has taught us is more and more people realize how interconnected we are, mm -hmm. that um, we are not separate, that when you see your neighbor, um, your the local people who, who you, you pass in the street on the way to way to work, on the way to school, on, on the way to your family's house, that they see themselves in them because we recognize just how connected we are. And the stronger that we all are, the better and healthier our community is, you know, uh, one of the teachings an Indigenous elder gave me is that, you know, we really are all one human family. Um, there is no separation. And I believe that this pandemic has taught so much more about how relevant that viewpoint is. And together, we can make a difference. Mm, that's really insightful. Thank you, Sky. Uh, I want to thank you all for joining this first episode. And bringing your perspective on what a community foundation is, because through your experience, that was uh, highly interesting. And uh, I hope the best for all of you. And thank you again.